Mornings with Mac. Hope you've got a copy of uh, God's Word and you're ready to look at this Psalm of Ascent. It's the 13th Psalm of Ascent and this is where this begins. So if you've got your Bible, go to Psalm 132, but let me, let me show you what is the heart of this Psalm. This is going to be a very familiar passage to you. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, and he will be great, and um, he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Now, that's what the psalm is all about. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Well, now, if you've got your Bibles, that's the background uh, because this whole psalm is about this one idea, the promise of God's salvation. God keeps his covenant. And God's going to keep his covenant promise that he's made with David. Now, I've got to give you a lot of background. This is a long psalm of ascent. And um, I don't want to keep you too long, but I, I, I want to give you the background for, um, for the psalm, especially the first part, the first seven verses. So let's go to it, and let's look beginning in verse one. Now, David is not writing this. This is a, a, a someone much later than David, most likely Hezekiah, who is writing this, looking back on David. And I'll show you something that uh, will point this out to you in just a moment. But now he's looking back, and he says, Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardship he endured. He endured all of this hardship uh, becoming king and uh, really bringing the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Now, this is what David swore. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Now, let me tell you something. Nobody through the reign of Saul heard anything like that. David comes and he's now king of Israel. And he says, you know what? I'm going to not rest at all until I bring the Ark of the Covenant here uh, up to Zion. That was the city of David. Uh, it's now the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Zion is incorporated into all of that. Well, he says, I'm not going to rest. I'm not going to enter my house. I'm not going to get in my bed. I'm not going to give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids. I am determined I am going to bring the ark of God's covenant up here to the city of Zion. And he swears that. He swears to the Lord in verse two. And look, we'll get to this. Verse 11, God's now going to swear an oath back to David. David gives an oath, God, I'm not going to rest until I bring the ark here, until your ark has a resting place here. And God's going to respond to David with what we know is the Davidic covenant. That begins in verse 11. Let's just go back. Let me show you where they find the ark. Verse 6, behold, we heard of it in Ephratah. 
Now, Ephratah is the area of Bethlehem. That's where Beth, he says, when we were in the area of Bethlehem, we heard all these stories about the ark and we found it. We went looking for it and we found it in the fields of Jaar. Jaar is a shortened name for Jarim, Kiriath Jarim. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. Um, in fact, you've got to get back uh, to Second um, to Samuel. Really, you have to go back to First Samuel, chapter five, chapter six, chapter seven. Let me give you that history. You remember uh, that Eli was the priest then over the people in Shiloh. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant was in the tabernacle in Shiloh. And uh, the Philistines attack and they beat the Jews, they beat the Hebrews badly. And the Hebrews uh, say to themselves, what in, what in the world is happening? Why, why did they defeat us? So they decided, let's take the Ark of the Covenant and let's take it into battle. In fact, let me do this. Let me just take uh, a moment and go back to 1 Samuel chapter 5 in chapter six and chapter seven. So they take it into battle and you know what happens. The Philistines defeat them again and they take the Ark of the Covenant. Now the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. This for Samuel chapter five, verse one. They brought it into the house of Dagon there in Ashdod. I'm sure you remember your history, how every morning they would go in and Dagon had fallen over in front of the Ark. And then God struck them with tumors all over their bodies. So they took the Ark of the Covenant and they said, what are we gonna do with it? And they said, uh, let's bring it to Gath. Verse eight, chapter five of 1 Samuel. Let's take it down to, uh, to Gath. Well, they brought it to Gath and those people broke out in tumors. So they took it from there, verse 10, down to Ekron. And the people of Ekron said, oh my word, don't bring that thing down here. So they said, what are we gonna do with it? Well, the Philistines, man, we've gotta get this thing out of here. We gotta get it back to these Jews. So they put it on a milk cart with a couple of uh, uh, cows and they send it down uh, toward the Philistine, uh, toward the uh, Hebrews uh, and away from the Philistines. Well, when they saw this, the men of Beth, uh, Beth Shemesh saw this, uh, they go out and they get the Ark of the Covenant and here all these men of Beth Shemesh thinks, boy, we've always wanted to see this thing because no layman was to ever see the ark. In fact, when they packed it up, they wrapped it up in some of the material, some of the cloth material of the, uh, of the tabernacle and people didn't see it. Uh, the, the Levites didn't touch it. They put two poles into the side of shatim wood and they put it up on their shoulders and they carried it that way. They didn't even touch it. Um, so the men there, but she said, hey, we, we've got this thing. Let's take a look at it. They looked in it. And you know what the word of God says? God struck down some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord and he struck down of all the people, 50,070 men. And the people mourned because the Lord had struck. Listen to what the men say down there. Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? So they just leave it. They said, hey, we're, we're leaving it here. They sent messengers up to the inhabitants of Kiriath-Jarim, and they said, listen, 
the Lord brought the ark back down, or the Philistines brought the ark back down here. You, you come and take it. And a guy by the name of Abinadab went and got the ark and took it and put it in his house, house at Kiriath Jerim. Now that's what David is referring to here in this Psalm when he says, uh, we found it in the fields of Jaar at uh, Kiriath Jarim. And so he says, let us go. Let's get up. Let's go uh, to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Now, Jerusalem is called by David. The, the Ark of the Covenant and Jerusalem are called the footstool of God. David refers to it in that way. Uh, the psalmist refers to it in that way. But David says, let us get up and let's go get this thing. Now, I want you to stop and think about something right here. What I want you to think about is that for an entire generation, for over 20 years, no one in David's day had seen the glory of God. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant had been hidden away in the forest of Kirith-Jerim in the house of Abinadab. And, and no one had seen it. They had heard stories about it. Um, their granddads had told them stories of the Ark and the power of God on the Ark and all that God had done and how the presence of God was on the Ark. None of them in that generation had seen the Ark of God. David said, I want to see it. I, 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 will, I want the Ark of the Covenant. I want the presence of God to be here in the midst of his people. I don't want to just hear stories about the power of God. I don't want to just dream about what God has done. I want to see God in my generation. I want to see God. Let us get up. Let's go get that thing. And let's bring it here so that God's presence has a resting place in the midst of his people once again. You know, it's been over a generation since this nation, way over a generation since this nation has seen any kind of move of God. We're in unusual days. Overnight, this is live. Overnight, we've been told that the death count now is a thousand that died yesterday. It's, this is almost like an Old Testament plague, folks. And, and people are fearful. Nations are fearful. Nations are running afraid. And we don't know what we're going to do. And we don't know how we're going to solve this issue other than we can't have any contact. We're almost like lepers in the Old and New Testament. We, we have to stay shut off from each other. And it has been generations since we've seen a move of God in this country. It's been generations since we've seen a real move of God in the church. And David says, I'm determined to get this generation up and we're going to get before the presence of God and we're going to put, we're going to make the presence of God. We're going to ask the presence of God to come here in our midst, in our generation. Would to God we would be so hungry that we would say, God, we're, we're going after you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with all of our mind. We're going after you hard for your presence because we want to see the presence of our God and the glory of our God in our generation. Let us go. Let's go. David says, I'm going to bring it here. Now watch verse eight. Arise, O Lord, 
and go to your resting place. Now, let me tell you, that's a quotation of Moses right there. And I'm going to take you back to Numbers chapter 10. So you can start there now, look back to Numbers chapter 10. This was a description of how the cloud would lift up off the tabernacle and the whole of the nation would set out and move. And then the cloud would settle down over a place and it was God saying, this is where you put the tabernacle now. So let me take you back there. And let me, let me just show you this back in Numbers chapter 10 where Moses uh, says this to the nation. Uh, whenever the cloud moves, Numbers chapter 10, verse 34, the cloud of the Lord was over them by day and they set out from the camp. And it came about when the ark set out that Moses said, rise up, O Lord. Do you see? That's exactly what David says there in verse eight. Arise, O Lord. Rise up, O Lord, Moses says, and let your enemies be scattered and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it came time to rest, he said, return, O Lord, to the myriad thousands of Israel. Well, listen to David here as he quotes Moses. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Now, the ark represented one thing as much as anything else, the presence of God. It also represented the power of God. That's why they wanted to take it into battle. It represented the justice of God. It represented the word of God. He says, Lord, rise, go to your resting place, you and the ark of your, your might. Now, what he was saying was this, is that God, we're gonna bring this ark here to Jerusalem and there you will be enthroned in Jerusalem in the midst of your people. And he's saying this, that until the ark gets in the proper place, until it gets to that proper place, until God is enthroned in Jerusalem, the people of God are still living in the wilderness. The people of God are still in jeopardy. Until God takes his proper place, the people of God are still in jeopardy. Now, I want you to think about that. That's why I've said it several times. You think about that because I want to tell you, I'm afraid that even in the church, we've allowed so many other things to take the place of God that God has moved on out. We've moved him on. Well, we've got this and we've got that. We've got lights and we've got fog machines and we've got this stuff and we've got that stuff, and we've got this celebrity and that personality and you know all these other things that, that we have just edged God out. And what we need to hear is what David says, put God back in the place where he belongs in the midst of his people there. And until he is there, we're in jeopardy. Boy, you can say that nationally as well, until nations get back to where they acknowledge God and his authority and his sovereignty and his power. We're in jeopardy. Do, do you doubt it? This morning, do you doubt that we're not in jeopardy? Arise, O Lord, go to your resting place, and you and the ark of your might. And he says, here are the results. When we put God in the proper place, let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, 
Do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Now, this is another, I'm convinced because he, he calls himself anointed one. The kings were seen to be the anointed one. And he says, Lord, because of your servant, David, because you, you loved David and you made a covenant with David, don't turn your face away from this generation. You see what he's doing? He's pleading for the same thing. He's saying, God, bring your presence back here. Be near us. Because when you are near, we are clothed in righteousness and we shout for joy. There's joy among your people. And he says, don't, for the sake of David, we were saying today, God the Father, for the sake of your son Jesus, don't turn away from us. Have mercy on us. Have pity on us. Well, that was David's oath to God right there. Now look, verse 11, here comes the Davidic covenant. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. Now, what is that sure oath? Right there by verse 11, you can write down uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. That is the Davidic covenant. Right there next to verse 11, you put 2 Samuel, Samuel chapter 7, Davidic covenant. Because God comes to David and he says this, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I'll establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be a father to him. He'll be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I'll correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men, but my righteousness shall not depart from him. My loving kindness shall not depart from him. As I took it away from Saul when I removed him before you, your house, your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Do you know what he's saying there? He's saying what I started off with in Luke chapter, Luke chapter one, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Jesus was the son of David. One of the sons of your body, I will set on your throne. The psalmist says, verse 12 of uh, Psalm 132, if your son keeps my covenant, my testimonies, that I shall teach them their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. You see, that's what I just read, the Davidic covenant. Now watch this. Let me, let me hasten to get to the conclusion here. Verse 13, for the Lord has chosen, this is God's selection. God chose uh, Jerusalem. By the way, let me tell you something. The prophet Zechariah says, he who touches you, speaking of Jerusalem, touches the apple of his eye. For the Lord has chosen Zion. That's God's selection. He's desired it for his dwelling place. It's a sacred place. This is my resting place forever, God says. For I will dwell, uh, for here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Now here comes God's promise. This is my resting place, Jerusalem, Zion. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. He says, this is a satisfying place. And then watch, here's the saving place. Her priests I will clothe with salvation and her saints will shout for joy. Now watch, verse 17. 
It's going to be life and it's going to be light. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. If you go back to Luke chapter 1, verse 69, it speaks of the horn of salvation that is rising up. And that is, uh, that, that was in the prophecy of John the Baptist. He's going to go out and he's going to proclaim uh, that there's one coming after him whose sandals he's not uh, worthy to untie. The, the Lamb of God, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He says, there I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. A lamp in the Old Testament is always seen as a picture of hope. In fact, uh, David's soldiers called David a lamp. You remember when the giant uh, almost defeated David later in his life, they went out to fight the Philistines and some of the descendants of the giant fought against David and uh, one of them had to come, one of the mighty men had to come and help David and they looked at David and they said, you're not coming back out here to war with us. We're not gonna risk the lamp uh, of Israel going out. Uh, so here, it's a picture of hope. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame in other words, salvation's coming, but you need to understand that when salvation comes, judgment comes as well. Um, that's something to think about. You either come to Jesus Christ now or you face him as judge later. Listen to what Paul writes in Acts chapter 17. He says, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. This is a day uh, where people need to begin to think about repentance. We don't talk about repentance much, but I'm telling you what, if we need anything right now, we need for the people of God to get serious about the fact that we have much to repent of. Listen to what he says. God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man. That man is Jesus Christ. Well, what this psalmist is doing here is telling you this, is that God keeps his covenant. God keeps his promises. That the promise of God is salvation. For those of you that are listening this morning, that you've stumbled across this some kind of way, let me tell you something. You're a sinner. And you're guilty of sin. And there's nothing you can do about that. You cannot save yourself. Um, but there's good news. Good news is gospel. Gospel is good news. And that is God loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son to die for you. And uh, he takes your place and he gives you his righteousness as he takes your sin away from you. And all you need to do is simply repent of your sin. You say, well, now what is that? It's a confessing to God. God, I'm sorry that I've sinned. I have broken your law. Um, and I, I cannot save myself. And I receive your free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for keeping your Old Testament promise that you would provide for our salvation. 
that is another step up in the Psalms of Ascent. God bless you. I'll see you tomorrow morning.